Heavenly Father, strengthen our love for you. Let us see the face of Jesus and give us hearts to receive that which you would give to us today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was in seminary about 15 years ago, I had a professor who asked a question that still resonates in my heart and mind today. He asked the question, when we were growing up, what was it in our parents' words and actions that communicated to us the most important thing or value that they wanted for us to have in our life as we grew? Was it financial security, a good career, a wonderful marriage, wonderful children? Or was it a love, a deep love for Jesus Christ? I think that is what Jesus is getting to in here in this passage that's pretty difficult for us to read today. But before we get to that, that passage, I want to remind you that Jesus is not talking about the cost of discipleship as, as it will headline in your, your Bible for the first time to the disciples. This is the third time that he's gone over this with them. The third time is usually much more strict, much more heavy when it comes from Jesus. So in Luke 9, after he feeds the 5,000, and Peter confesses Jesus as Christ, and Jesus foretells of his death for the first time to the disciples. And he tells the disciples that he must suffer many things and be rejected, be beaten and mocked, and ultimately die, and three days later rise from the dead. After this, Jesus says to them in Luke 9, verse 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And just a few verses later in the same chapter, where the, the book of Luke hinges in chapter uh, in 9, verse 51, where it says that Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem, to the cross. He's rejected in the Samaritan village that he visits. And right before he sends out the 72 disciples to go into the towns and villages, he will visit on the way to Jerusalem to prepare for him to visit. He confronts three of the followers on the road with their questions and with their desire to follow him. The first one says, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus says to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. The next, Jesus tells the other one, says, follow me. But he says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus responds to him by saying, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And another says, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus responds to this man, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. So now when we come to this third reading of the cost of discipleship, there are three verses I really want to kind of look into and pour into and in what Jesus is saying. The first, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. The second, verse 27, 
Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And the last in verse 33. So therefore, if any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So first, let's, let us look to Jesus calling us to an uncompromising love. Jesus does not talk about hate very often in a way when he tells us we need to hate. <laughs> Most of his verses are, are about love and loving others. And so I want uh, to first look at how he tells us to love. We said today in the summary of the law, right, uh, which comes from Matthew when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? He says in Matthew 22, 37 through 40, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Earlier on in Luke, when he's giving in the Sermon of the Valley, which is the Matthew's Sermon on the Mount, he, Jesus tells us to love our enemies. He says in Luke 6, 27 to 28, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. And he reiterates this just a few verses later when he summarizes and says, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And then in the upper room, when Jesus is meeting with the disciples at the Last Supper, when he institutes the communion that we will take later today, he's talking to them and he gives them a new commandment. He says in John 13, 34 to 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And to really finally emphasize that we cannot hate our brothers. In John's first letter to the churches, he says in chapter 4, 20 to 21, if anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So if Jesus is not speaking of hate here, what is Jesus saying? He's speaking in hyperbole, and I believe that the people listening to him would hear echoes of the Old Testament. He says these things, in phrases with, come after me, follow me. Israel was the bride of Christ. We are, in the New Testament, described as the bride of Christ. But when Israel went after other gods, when they followed Baal and Asherah, the Lord called them a whore and a prostitute. They had a divided love. God was not first and foremost in their love. And all the things came crashing around around them when this happened. Their loves were disoriented. This is what Jesus is speaking about. He's talking about what is first and foremost our love for him. 
We have other examples in the Old Testament. I'll give you two. One, we'll go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. There was the tree of life that Adam and Eve were given in the garden to eat from, to receive life. And there was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were commanded not to eat from, or they would receive death. Well, they listened to the serpent, were deceived by him. And they chose to become like God, even though they already were built in his image, to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and to bring death into the world, to love themselves and desire to be in that place. And in Deuteronomy, it tells the kings to only have one wife, but Solomon, who started out as a good king, asked for wisdom, built the temple, ends up with many, many wives who leads him astray because of their worship of other gods. Jesus is speaking about this in hyperbole when he says to hate. He wants us to first and foremost love him because in loving him, we can love others. John sums this up in our ability to love in his first letter in verse uh, 19 of chapter four. We love, we love, not we love something, but he says we love because he first loved us. Our ability to love comes from Jesus. And so we must love Jesus in order to love others. When Jesus is our first love, our primary love, then our loves for others is rightly ordered. We can love our families best when we love Jesus first. We can love our neighbors best when we love Jesus first. We can love our enemies when we love Jesus first. Then Jesus calls us to follow him to the cross. He says in verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He mentioned this earlier when I read in Luke 9, 23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We, we hear this often, right? To bear your own cross, to, to take up your cross, right? Something difficult in life that you have to bear with. Well, I want to ask the question, what did the cross mean for Jesus? What did the cross mean for Jesus? Well, he tells, he tells his disciples that greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. The cross was death death for Christ, but life for us. He gave his life that we might have life in him. Paul describes it as he hung upon a tree and was cursed. We already talked about a tree earlier, the tree of life in the garden. Jesus has taken this tree of death and turned it into a tree of life that we will eat the fruit of later when we have communion and we feast on his body and his blood. The way of the cross for Jesus' death that he might give life and for us to follow him after that is death to ourselves that we might have life in him. We must put to death our old selves. Paul says this in Romans 8, 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And in Colossians 3, 5, put to death therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. 
We cannot live our old life and have new life in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul tells us, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We must die with Christ that we may also live in Christ. This is our baptism. This is our baptism. Paul tells uh, the Romans, he asked them first in 6.3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? He goes on in verse four, we were buried therefore with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And he concludes this section in verse eight. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. I think it's a beautiful imagery from the ancient church when their baptismal fonts were shaped like crosses and that when they entered in, they entered into the cross and died. And when they were raised out of the font, they were brought into new life. What beautiful sacramental imagery they gave to us. When we bear our cross, we die to ourselves, to our flesh, to the world, and we are made a new creation in Christ. When Jesus says, come, follow me, bear your own cross, he asks us to follow him to that place where we die to ourselves, that we might receive life in him and give life to others. And in the last verse, verse 33, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. He explains this uh, in two parables right before he tells us this. He talks about a builder and a king at war. And the builder has to count the costs. This is a phrase also that we use often, right? Count the costs. Have you counted the costs? I think though what here Jesus is saying is that the builder did not count the costs. And I think the builders we can think of that want to build a tower is the Tower of Babel. They wanted to build a tower for their own renown, their own sake, their own glory. And now they are mocked. We don't look back at the people that built the Tower of Babel and think, wow, they were glorious. They were amazing. They were They did what no one else could do. No, they were scattered. That tower was not completed and they are mocked. So the question here is, can we afford the cost of not following him? We do not have what it takes. We do not have what it takes to build that tower. We cannot build ourselves to God. We cannot bridge the gap that has been created there. And in the king in war, Right. Can we afford the cost of war without Jesus? The enemy is coming and the king has to decide, do I have with 10,000 troops enough to fight an army of 20,000? Do I have with 10,000 enough to fight 20,000? He deliberates this cost and he sends a delegate of peace and sues for peace. I think here we can think of the kings in the Old Testament, Hezekiah especially, when the Assyrians were coming, he had no idea of what to do. And they prayed to the Lord and the Lord saved them. He sent the armies of heaven because they were way outnumbered. There was no way Hezekiah with his army would be able to defeat this, but he came to God and God in his faithfulness to us and to them conquered the enemy. 
So can we afford the cost of war without Jesus? I think uh, in Deuteronomy, we hear what I'm putting to be, to, to forth to you today. He says, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. Jesus speaks of this in other places as a yoke. We cannot live a yokeless life. We will be yoked to something or someone. Jesus says, come to me, all who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is light and my burden is easy. What in your life are you relying on to bring you life? What have you yoked yourself to that is not Jesus? Ask the Lord to give you his mercy and his grace to reveal those things to you that you might yoke yourself to Christ every day when you wake up. Bind yourself to Christ. For in Christ will we only have life. All other things are the way of death. Heavenly Father, we pray and come to you and we ask, search us and you know us, Father. What is it that we have put trust in that is not of you, that is the way of death. Help us, Lord, to repent of these things, to turn to you, to yoke ourselves to you, to come find rest in you as we yoke ourselves to you and find the way of life that in you we might share your love and your life with others, Father God. I pray, reveal those things to us in your mercy and in your goodness. Amen.